0: It's another episode sort of the Self of the World with Tactics podcast. Or just me. I would actually have to kind of change the name. Anyway, um, once again, something by Andrew Huberman. Um, actually, why? Why am I often talking about him? Why am I featuring often what he's saying, what he's talking about? Kind of, uh, at this point of time, at least. First of all, I think it is personal interest. And second of all, uh, and, well, actually, there's not first of all and second of all personal interest definitely and also because I think that the things that he is talking about and the way that he is talking about those things which is very engaging I think and um, also very very useful in the sense of um, it's not boring I have a feeling that it is really not boring when he he is talking about something um, even if it is very scientific I don't really think that it is boring then and listening to him on the podcast by the way there is a podcast by andrew huberman the huberman lab podcast um definitely worth checking out and also definitely worth listening to um it's amazing it really is amazing and uh also just not one-sided very scientific i would say like um you know balancing things out and having the uh, the pros and the content and whatnot i just really like the style that he's using to um, bring across the information and well basically teach the information today this is a live session from Seattle Washington which is quite cool having some q and type stuff by him uh, since I think questions that other people are often questioning asking well questions <laughs> questions that other people ask you know might be some questions that you're having as well or that I am having as well so might be the case that I'm going to skip a few things that I'm not quite interested in or I don't think is maybe, you know, let's say necessary, but yeah, um, I'm going to show you the name. I think it was published four months ago, so 2022. It is called Life Event Q&A, Dr. Andrew Huberman, Question and Answer in Seattle, Washington. Um, yeah, I don't know the exact date, but this is the source that I'm using today and i uh, mainly or just you know how do you say it it's just a source nothing more nothing less um something that i am quite aware of and i also want to make you quite aware of is that um i am not re re re-uploading quite the whole entire thing i'm just using it as a base for me to talk about other things and to um you know maybe also add certain things that he has said or other people have said before um period I'm not re-uploading it since I think that this would be, a, you know, really, it's, it's not a mean thing. It is a really fucked up thing because he's putting in such a lot of work and he is putting himself in, in such a um, maybe even dangerous situation since, uh, I mean, with you as a professor, which is your job. Um, are also public in in this sense, having a podcast, being on social media, being being live, being on television, whatnot, this might also have some drawbacks when it comes to your job as a scientist and or as a professor. So he's definitely putting himself out there and trying to make great change. But of course, there's still
1: a risk. This is something that I just want to point out. Um, what is mo- your most used protocol? I'm assuming that you mean the protocol that I use the most. I genuinely do the morning sunlight viewing this evening. I went and looked at the sunset every single evening, and I absolutely do 10 to 30 minutes of some non-sleep deep rest protocol every single day. Every single day. Um, The reason I called it non-sleep deep rest is because while I love the classic traditions of and things like yoga nidra my fear was that if i called things yoga nidra that people would get spooked Um, but i also have to say that i rather loathe the fact that scientists use so many uh fancy terms that and there you can
0: just see um not using a certain word deciding not to use a certain word or phrase and whatever it is not about him i don't know making a lot of money with it no it is about the end consumer, it is about the person he is willing to provide information, to provide amazing information for people, but also so that they actually use it and do the, do, do this and at least, you know, maybe try it out. And um, I think as well, I mean, when it is called Yoga Nidra, I also thought, well, this is again some woo-woo shit, I'm not gonna, you know, participate in it, I'm not gonna try it out and whatnot. But when it is NSDR, non sleep deep rest, you know, this sounds very scientific. This sounds very cool. So I'm going to try it out. Um, definitely something to mention,
1: definitely something to.
0: Um,
1: that it also gets in information from the very people that fund the work. So I have a kind of an axe to grind with the scientific community too. So non sleep deep rest was my attempt to you kind know, of put my arms around a number of different things like Yoga Nidra, which I have great reverence for and other tools like that. I do that usually in the early afternoon or if I wake up first thing in the morning and I haven't slept enough or not that well, I'll do 30 minutes of yoga nidra and I feel terrific after that. I'll just mention a brief anecdote. I, um, I learned about yoga nidra while researching a book that I never wrote um, that may or may not ever be published. I went and spent a week in a um, trauma center and addiction treatment center in Florida and saw some amazing work of some amazing people and some amazing transformations. And it was a big part of their daily routine for these people to do um, yoga nidra and non-sleep deep rest. And I thought they're really onto something here. So uh, almost religiously for me, uh, every day, 10 to 30 minutes. Not that it matters, but the CEO of Google's really into NSDR. I don't know him, um, but there's, he's written about that a number of times. In Seattle, sunrise varies from 4.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. depending on season. Are you recommending to vary your wake up? outside time with the seasons somewhat Um, you know you don't need to see the sun cross the horizon that would be great but not everyone can wake up with the sun Uh, you want to get an interesting
0: anecdote maybe Um, apparently partly a reason why we see color is so that we can see time or so that we can figure out the time so when the sun goes down and when the sun rises there is a a orangish yellowish, maybe sometimes even reddish, purplish color in the sky. And because of that we can figure out what time it is. Also something by the way, and the Huberman once in a podcast said along the lines. Take it with a grain of salt, maybe check out. Um, or search for it yourself. But something
1: along the lines of this, which would just really make sense. So called low solar angle sunlight. Why? Because of that yellow blue contrast that we talked about before. Many people wake up before the sun is out. If that case if you want to be awake turn on as many bright lights as you can up here i don't know does anyone here you don't have to admit this if you don't want to but maybe nod or raise your hand if you're comfortable admitting that in the winter you feel less well or typically in the transition yeah it's huge up here it's really it's amazing and then when you're on campus or that's where i've spent time and you see rainier and it's like the blossoms are out and you feel almost high because that's dopamine you know animals that have white pelage in the winter and then it turns dark in the summer and spring months. That pathway, the melanin pathway is from tyrosine, which is the precursor to dopamine and also to melanin production in the fur. So the whole system is linked. It's not rigged, it's linked. So what do I suggest? I suggest in the winter months getting 30 minutes of sunlight viewing. I know it's a lot, but it's a It's much better than feeling lousy all day. And then the real key in the winter is to try and catch some sunlight before it goes down. If you're indoors and it goes down and then you go outside and it's dark, your brain and body don't really know where they are in time. And then you flip on Ozark and you're watching Ozark and then you really don't know where you are in time. I have one more episode, don't tell me what happened. That shows. When I was at postdoc, I used to, recommend the wire to my competitors true i go to sleep fired up ready and excited to do whatever it takes when i wake up that drive is depleted why and what can i do interesting have not heard that one before but if i were to venture a guess you know we didn't spend much time tonight talking about the autonomic nervous system this kind of seesaw that takes us from very alert potentially panicked but to very very deep sleep even you know God forbid we go into a coma, it's because the parasympathetic nervous system is overactive relative to the sympathetic nervous system, seesaw of autonomic function. You may be sleeping very, very deeply, and when you are in deep, deep rest, the last thing you want to do is get into that forward center of mass, thinking, planning, predicting, right? In, you know, again,
0: Since yesterday, um, there was also a question Theoretically, a question around books by Tim Ferriss on The Tim Ferriss Show, um, interviewing Andrew Huberman, talking about many interesting things. You might check out the episode. It's also available as a podcast um, by Tim Ferriss and also by myself, if you want to have it a bit compromised or just you know, basically some snippets out of it that I have chosen. Um, the books, he might be talking about poetry there, which I found really interesting. Um, may also not be the case, you know, may about
1: uh, maybe about neuroscience. What are some of your favorite books that have had the biggest impact on you? Kyle, gee, thank you, Kyle. Um, Gosh, so many. You know, for nonfiction, um, well, Oliver Sacks's autobiography, On the Move, had a profound impact on me. You know, people hated him. The scientific community tried to kick him out. Um, They said horrible things about him. Um, created all sorts of scandals. It wasn't until Awakenings became a blockbuster movie that suddenly he got appointments at NYU in Columbia. Ha. Then now they wanted him back. And the revered neurologist, like incredible, right? But he was also a, a real seeker in the cuttlefish thing. And he had a lot of internal struggles too um some of which i relate to some of which i don't actually have been in touch with his former partner because it actually moved to topanga canyon for a short while just because oliver lived there i thought if i go there i'll actually finish this book guess what just moving someplace doesn't allow you to finish a book um he lived
0: but sometimes it may actually really help um there are many people that for example decide to write and or work in a coffee shop just because they like the atmosphere they like you know, maybe the endless amount of coffees they can get and whatever. So uh, maybe indeed changing your place, if you can, of course, might actually uh, enable you to work better, more efficient, and uh, maybe even enjoy the work a bit more. Something that I have realized over the years maybe is uh, working and sleeping in the same room might not be that beneficial um, since there might be a cue. Okay, when I am in this room, it is about work or, or food or whatever, but not necessarily about sleep. You know, it should be probably, a, you know, if you can, it should be a different room. You know, I've read it in several books. Maybe one book, I don't know. Might have been in Atomic Habits. Might be the case. I'm not quite sure. Since also, you know, certain people tend to smoke in certain environments and or in you know certain spots. There was. I kind of, I don't know why I remember this, but I think there was an example around horse riding by uh, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, where it basically was about, okay, um, when this person is about to ride the horse, like in this area and whatnot, this person is smoking just because there is some sort of a cue and then whatever. And maybe also in terms of those people that this person meets there and, you know, maybe trying to be in a different place maybe just you know facing a different direction and not just doing things the complete same way might also do the trick or might at least really help with um, addiction I don't know but uh, well maybe also but habits definitely so um, I can't do that you know I can't do the having my workplace in a different space than I'm having my bed there is my (laughs) bed it's 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 not that easy um and as i said before it may not be applicable since um you may not have the resources
1: as i am not having the resources but yeah lived in topanga i was like that's the key it didn't work and people were wondering why i was hanging around their house all the time uh, because it was oliver's former home so that's an amazing book um and tells you my obsessive nature um the other books that have had a profound influence on me, I would say in the non-fiction realm, well, I learned how to make a decent steak and a few other simple recipes not well from Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Chef, because I really needed help. Um, that was a fun one. Um, I liked... Which primarily though is a book
0: about learning, as far as I remember and as far as I know. Um, basically concepts, meta-learning, the skill of learning learning the skill of learning
1: basically so meta learning um but apparently also some recipes robert green's book mastery because i've had amazing mentors and that book is all about finding mentors and assigning mentors to you even if you don't know them and as you can tell from my stories about oliver who i never met and i and a few other folks that i've just decided that they don't know it but i'm mentoring them <laughs> they're mentoring me excuse me um that book was was really important for me. And that uh, mentor-mentee relationships always involve a breakup, either by death or by decision or by consequence, your circumstance rather. There's something happens and they're supposed to break. You're not supposed to apprentice with somebody forever. That was an interesting book for me. I would say in the, in the fiction realm, <sighs> I would say in the fiction realm, it's all childhood books because it's been a long time since I've read fiction. I read a lot of poetry. I'm a big Wendell Berry fan. I like poetry because poetry to me is is like the subconscious. It, the structure is all messed up and you think you understand what they're talking about, but you don't really know. And so it always feels important and consequential even though you know it, it's your own interpretation. And then I love the psychologists. I love Jung. I love Erickson. I love um, I love The Psychologist and could read endlessly about the f- early days of attachment theory and things like that because I find that stuff to be fascinating. So those books have been a lot of fun and I love picture books with animals. Do you have any tips on how?
0: He also mentioned when it comes to poetry, it might be beneficial to listen to certain people, um, even though he also mentioned he is not suggesting people to be in in front of screens even more um, than we are, already are. Um, but still, maybe listening to things, listening to, um, you know, maybe the author. Often I think it's not even the author that is reading the book and or doing the audiobook. But it may be beneficial also when it comes to understanding and, um, you know, having the right rhythm, poetry. And uh, well, yeah. Do you have any tips on
1: how to improve memory by Ron Veret? The how to improve memory, yes. Uh, Ron Vred. yes. Okay, this is a wild literature and I love it and it's changing the way that I do things. I thought that to remember things, you're supposed to get really, really excited, really focused and remember them. And guess what, that's not how you do it. There's, there are data and there are stories going back to medieval times that they used to teach kids things and then throw them in the river. There's a beautiful annual review of neuroscience written by the late James McGaw, brilliant researcher who taught me that in this review. And it turns out that if you want to remember something, you want to spike adrenaline after you acquired that information. After. That means the double espresso and the ice bath after you study for math. Immediately after. And you think about this, you know, that makes perfect sense, right? Think about the one trial learning that nobody wants to experience, which is a car accident or some traumatic thing. You didn't get the spike of adrenaline first, you got the spike of adrenaline after. So again, you know, I discourage the use of excessive stimulants or you know anything like that. But if you're going to try and remember information, you need to get your brain and body into a high autonomic arousal state. Literally, you need to deploy adrenaline into your system after you have made the attempt to learn some information so much so that if you give people a beta blocker after learning emotional information they don't learn it as well incredible just incredible data in animals and humans this is the the beautiful work of larry cahill at uc irvine and james mcgaw so that's how i would focus on remembering things better and it's also true that if you tell yourself that something's really important to you, you'll, you'll be able to learn it better. If you meet people and they tell you their name and you forget two seconds later, well, you should probably be thinking, and now I do this, I meet people and I think, okay, what, what terrible thing did this person do? Just try and spike my adrenaline or something like that. It's a terrible trick, but I haven't figured out a better way, but that's actually one that data supported way to do that. Um, uh, easily a dozen or more studies in humans on that very topic how do you manage social media addiction paul
0: remembering things um he also the very recent ones very recent episodes around focus there he does say that for example caffeine which dilates that i found pretty interesting dilates the pupils um, which makes one more focused apparently you know having very very small pupils adds peripheral vision, quote-unquote, adds. But when they're dilated, you apparently are more focused, if I remember that correctly, of course. Um, But still, of course, when you're having more focus, it's better for learning because you're more focused. Um, Since I think it hasn't mentioned it yet, uh, caffeine, ice bath, um, probably the best way is having your arms, hands, in ice, you know? And, and therefore, or in this way, spiking your adrenaline. Um, something maybe not to do is uh, heat. Apparently with cold exposure, you're hitting the right spot way easier and then way more efficiently without having third degree burns compared to having heat or applying heat or, or using heat to remember things easier. And of course, there are also great resources when it comes to you know learning in and of itself as i said before tim ferris with his book the the four hour chef so meta learning there's also a ton of youtube content i think also by him maybe or just you know a quick google search you're gonna find i think the which is um dissect sequence and the other s i don't know and the i doesn't stand for anything so um basically kind of a rule i think by him is uh material over method but still um, there are a tremendous amount of people that have won the olympics let's call them just olympics of remembering things uh, using uh, certain techniques like the is it called the loki method or mind palace if you're googling for this you're going to find it which is quite interesting also of course uh, spaced repetition learning i guess so therefore basically flashcards and and many also Uh, many more techniques those people that are able to i don't know memorize the number p to the 200th position or whatever and many more things many more uh data and whatever it might be about whatever they have to recall and memorize They are pretty great techniques also josh Waitskin and his books the i think the art of learning the various. um must have, I guess, as far as I remember, interviewed him as well. So, definitely also something to check out and to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, so there are actually quite a lot of resources on how to learn to learn or just learning more efficiently, or learning better, and
1: whatever. Oi. Um, well, we should be careful with the use of the word addiction because here I think it's entirely appropriate when you're engaging in a behavior over and over and over again and you're thinking to yourself this isn't even that interesting you're officially addicted that's the litmus test for addiction not this feels so good people talk about the dopamine hits of social media those only come at the beginning but then when you find yourself scrolling like what am i doing maybe it's that narrow visual aperture you're a hypnotized chicken but maybe also you are seeking more dopamine hits because guess what, that dopamine wave pool is depleted, at least for that activity. It is true that dopamine—you have a baseline, and then you have peaks on, on that ride on that baseline. I do think that we can have dopamine for one behavior, and not for another. But it's a—it's a generalized phenomenon. So how do you manage it? You have to stop seeking within social media, and so. I've taken on the practice of turning off my phone for a couple hours each day. It's incredibly hard. People get really upset too, by the way. In case you haven't noticed, these tethers that people expect. Uh, we recorded a podcast recently, and it, so I, I don't wanna go into too much depth now um, about attachment and grief. And you know, we all have a map, now you do understand what the maps are, of space, time, and a dimension called closeness to everyone that we know space where they are time when they are dead alive when will i see them again etc and closeness and the phone has allowed us to tap into space time in this closeness map which define all our attachments on a very regular basis so you can understand why it's so valuable to people you know the plane lands and everyone's texting the plane's like, oh everyone's texting it's like where are you well the plane's in the air there's this thing called flight tracker no one cares about that anymore you want to hear from the person. So I do think that I used to do in every odd hour of the day my phone was off and like half the relationships in my life disappeared. They couldn't to- they couldn't tolerate it. I loved it, but I loved them too. So I would say take breaks and I would say at least an hour and if you find yourself excited to get back on the phone, that excitement that is the dopamine system. So you can kind of learn where it is for you, but if you find yourself scrolling mindlessly and it's not doing anything for you you're driving that wave pool down 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 so hopefully that analogy will help it's weird to call myself dr. Huberman um, in my business if you refer to yourself in the third person it means you're officially a narcissist so I'm just gonna start with were you nervous tonight If so what did you do to prepare Brianne? Uh you saw my nervousness didn't you no the um, I asked myself that question um,
0: there was something quite interesting that I... Who said that? I think it was on a Tim Ferriss Show episode uh, featuring someone, this, or it was Victor Frankl. I don't remember. Anyway, the point was um, thinking like, okay, I should actually be more nervous. So when, are, when you are in a position where, or a place situation where you should be nervous, being like, well, I should actually be even more nervous. This apparently does the trick and makes you less nervous for whatever reason, because it might be about, it is indeed something I often think about, philosophize around um, being like, well, I should be this and that and the other thing. And then I am just, you know, doing the opposite quite. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, with nervousness, maybe also I don't know anxiety, social anxiety and whatever I should even be more anxious right now than I am. Um, this whole phenomenon of okay don't think about an iceberg and you are thinking about an iceberg. like is it reverse psychology? I don't know. apparently it does something, but I'd have to look it up again to make sure also who that uh, person was that said it and so on and so forth.
1: I was excited. And I think I'm good at lying to myself and telling myself that autonomic arousal that might be nervousness is excitement. But in in truth, uh, I wasn't. I was was and am really excited to tell you all these stories and about biology. I know this might sound like a little bit of a line, but I actually don't feel myself as a as a like a person when I do the podcast or I do this stuff. I took a walk before I got here, and I. I have to be careful there are only two topics that make me cry one is talking about my bulldog the other is talking about my graduate advisor so i have to be very careful but i took a walk and i imagined that they were here and i know I know. don't make me cry lex friedman made me cry on a podcast and it was really unfair and he was like digging and digging and there are a few people in the audience that know costello and it's like you know (laughs) uh and i just kept thinking to myself before coming in here like you know i i love them and miss them and i Um, Costello would be entirely bored with this whole thing. So I distracted myself a bit and not so nervous. I I do get nervous about things, sure, I'm human. Um, But when it comes to biology, I think I still feel like that little kid who just wants to tell you all the stuff, you know. So, you know, can't help it. Is learning from failure equal to learning from success? Is one more efficient than the other? Rachel, thanks for your question. Well, on a trial by trial basis.
0: In the end, it may also be about framing things
1: and realizing
0: that we're all human of course you know obviously you know some people are not maybe some people might be aliens some people might be robots if you know whom i'm referring to no Uh, (laughs) we are all human and it is okay to be nervous it is okay to to also stutter then when you are on uh, the stage and, and whatever i don't know i think it is also how you're handling it or how one is handling it of course um when you're like I don't know uh, when you're stuttering and you're like okay why am I stuttering and you're saying it and whatever it it might kind of break the whole situation and 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 whatever of course I think it also heavily depends on how one is taking it how one is dealing with it and uh, I don't know if if one is focusing on talking about things and it really depends on the situation, it depends on whether this is a fucking presentation you're having to do for school or you are doing in school or um, it is such a presentation or such a conference I think um, it also you know, depends but if you're bringing information to the audience to the people that you're talking to that is valuable I think you have done your job and you have done whatever. If they're listening and if they are absorbing and whatever is not in your hand you can just do your best and do something but that is quite it just um is it humiliating humiliate we are all human and we all know that we are all human you know beside
1: certain person or a certain people just we know that when you fail at an attempt on the next attempt your forebrain is in a position to to engage better and this makes total sense right you feel that frustration uh, and you want to get the next one right well you're harboring or i should say funneling more neural resources your focus that aperture tightens now you have to be mindful of that too because when you have a failure and then you're like you're gonna hit the bulls i'm thinking about a dartboard because i'm terrible at darts you know sober i'm terrible at darts i don't even drink so that next trial part of the problem is is that focus can narrow so much that you can start to lose access to information that might help you if you were just to relax a little bit and dilate that focus a little bit but in general on a trial by trial basis focus is the cue that your nervous system is going to be positioned to learn better on the next trial now in terms of life experiences gosh I wish for everyone fewer failures and more successes but you know failures keep you humble and I've had a lot of them I mean if people ever wanted and they you know I'd be happy to tell you about I mean I've made a ton of mistakes in life a ton of mistakes some of those were mistakes of persistence like dumb decisions like like it's going to change it's going to change and it's clearly never going to change and then some were failures of misjudgment about other people or situations and a lot of them were just plain failures like the experiment didn't work or the, the it just wasn't the right thing and you try and reframe those. I do think that we owe it to ourselves and to the people that we know to try and generate some wins here and there and try and help other people generate wins. Um, You know, in running a lab over the years, and I still do, um, you realize that you want your students to publish a paper and feel that success pretty early so that they can experience, A, how much work it is, so they pick problems wisely, but B, so they can feel that, like, I can do this. And I think that um, you know, this gets into the psychological as well. I think that, yes, failures help, but successes help. And there I think, you know, I function best in a team. And I think that for those of you that are feel like you're fighting some challenge alone, I do think that there are great resources to be had in trying to access other, you know, other people as sources of support i I think that that's a great tool there's this whole literature scientific literature around social connection and how that can help us reframe motivation and goals anyway maybe that's a topic to to expand on another just because i got reminded of it um since yes success feels
0: good and being able to build something feels good and achieving something feels good and and whatever um, andrew has also before we talked about those micro wins you know throughout your day um, basically teaching yourself and learning how to create basically dopamine yourself and not relying on those external um, those external things like marks, a person saying oh you have done great and, and whatever but you yourself you know building this this pool of dopamine, this pool of of well maybe even confidence in yourself by, by actually I think seeing that you are doing certain things and um, well, most people hopefully would probably do more um, since there is agitation, if we are not kind of achieving the things that we wanna achieve or or think we can achieve. Um, this is why there is agitation so that we, you know, sit up or stand up and to move, start moving, moving forward, at least trying to start moving forward. What I want to say is, um, you know, realizing and remembering that you have done things before, that you have achieved things before, and um, you know those micro achievements throughout the day. Okay, um, I don't know. Yes, I have brushed my teeth. Might be something for some people that are or have been in very tough situations. That is a goal. That is like a big achievement, and this is fine, by the way, if this is the case. Um, And many more things. I mean, there's uh, hundreds of micro-achievements that you can place throughout the day. And so if you get to this point, you kind of reward yourself with dopamine. You reward yourself with, you know, feeling better about yourself, probably. Definitely something to, uh, you know, maybe look up research and keep in mind. There is theoretically one more thing that I would go through in this video, but um, I might keep it for the next time. So I wish you the best and hopefully see you soon. So bye-bye.